Our first reading is from Jeremiah chapter 25. Thus says the Lord, or thus the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. O Lord, have mercy on us. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 22. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of an, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is famous, of course, for his fictional character and stories about Sherlock Holmes. Of course, Sherlock Holmes is a fictional private detective in London, England, and he uses uh, he's, he's a master of what's, what he calls deductive reasoning. He uses that, 
very uncanny ability to solve crimes. Well, as uh, Doyle, the author, uh, as his stories progress, Sherlock begins to discover that the sinister Professor Moriarty is behind the crime and the crime wave that is hitting the London streets. He's like a, it's like a spider web. Professor Moriarty is the mastermind behind it. And he is uh, behind the scenes working. And Holmes then has to, he has to find and he has to outsmart and he has to defeat his arch nemesis, the mastermind, Professor Moriarty. Sure, there are other people involved in all of the stories, but the real enemy behind it all is always Professor Moriarty. He's never visibly at the crime scene, of course, but he's just in the shadows, just behind orchestrating it all. Well, tonight, as we consider Jesus' agony in the garden, his arrest, his betrayal, and Peter's denial, Luke's gospel uncovers that behind all of it is one figure, Satan. So like Sherlock Holmes versus Professor Moriarty, we have Jesus and we have the great enemy of Satan, who isn't even actually named in our text, our gospel reading today, but he's always in the background behind it all. If you recall earlier in Jesus' ministry, Luke tells us that Jesus is tempted. We covered this not too long ago. Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. But it's only Luke's account that says that the devil had, when he had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. In other words, yes, the devil's defeated, he will retreat, but he will be back. He will be back. Earlier, also, in Luke chapter 22, the chapter of our text today, our Ash Wednesday reading, if you remember that far back, we were told that Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, and he went and then conferred and with the chief priests and the officers of how he might betray Jesus. Satan entered into Judas. So Luke is making it clear then that the opportune time is now. Our reading tonight. This is the moment where the old evil foe now comes back. He's been waiting for this moment. Satan, again, is behind it all. In last week's reading, from Luke chapter 22, verse 31, uh, Jesus is Simon. Simon, behold, Satan. Satan has demanded to have you, and that was you all, right? He's demanded to have you all that he might sift you like wheat. Again, Satan acting in the shadows behind it all. So yes, in this section of Luke chapter 22, we see other characters, there are other actors in the story, in the plot. We have Judas, we have the chief priests, we have their allies, those, uh, the whole host that is, is arrayed against Jesus. We even have the apostles, and they all play their part in this story. But Satan is directing, influencing, and attacking all of them, like Moriarty, he is the one behind all of it. And Jesus knows this. So he warns his apostles in the garden that night. He says, pray. Pray that you may not fall into, go into temptation. 
that you may not succumb to the temptation. Pray, the temptation is coming. It's coming against you. The tempter is coming after you that he may sift you. Satan is coming against you, so pray that you will not enter into it. Because if you do, you are on your own. You will not be able to stand. You are not strong enough. You will blow away like chaff in the wind. Jesus knows that Satan is behind it all. The chief priests might think that it is their clever secret plan to trap Jesus and to arrest him, but Jesus knows better. He says this in our text, I was in, I was in the temple, I was in the courtyards day after day, every day. If you wanted to arrest me, you could have done it then, as if I was a robber, right? They come out with their clubs and their swords. But you did not do it then. It's happening now because... I'm allowing it to happen. Now is your time. And he says this, it is the power of darkness. See? Power of darkness is our has come. Satan has returned. This is Satan's power. When the disciples ignore Jesus' uh, warning for them to pray, like they ignored his warning last week we read and heard about, how do they fare against Satan's attacks. They scatter like chaff. While Jesus is praying in an agony that none of us, no one in the whole world has ever known, the apostles fall asleep. And then one of his own, one of the twelve comes and betrays him with a kiss. And Jesus has to undo the violence of another one of his disciples. And Peter, who insisted, if you remember, he insisted he would be ready. He would be ready to go with Jesus to prison, even to death. Well, now Peter is in the background following Jesus at a distance. And speaking through a servant girl and two others, Satan comes at Peter. Satan sifts him. He has him. Peter is undone. Jesus said it would happen, that he would deny him three times. On his way then to stand before the Sanhedrin, of course the rooster crows, but Jesus looks straight at Peter, and Peter is undone. He, he remembers. He remembers what Jesus said. Jesus said it would happen, and now it has happened. But Peter doesn't remember the good that Jesus said. He only remembers the bad, the bad news. Peter is undone. He goes outside. He only remembers that what is going to happen. He doesn't remember that Christ promised that he was going to turn. He was going to repent of that. He was going to turn back to Christ, and he would even strengthen his brothers in the ministry. No, Peter remembers only the bad. He goes outside, and he weeps bitterly. It won't be until Easter morning that Peter is restored, just as promised by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It will happen. Isn't reminded of it yet. In a way, every other human being, human figure in the story that we're reading tonight, he, the, the human figures tend to get slimmer and thinner and thinner, less substantial and less substantial until they almost disappear because the, the power behind all of this evil is the evil one. And so our reading tonight shows us the real battle. If you look at the front of your 
uh, bulletin cover. That's what it's titled for tonight, The Real Battle. And that is a battle between Jesus and Satan. Satan is out to use all the means necessary that he has at his disposal to destroy Jesus. And on a certain level, he will succeed. Jesus knows that too, and he willingly accepts it. While the apostles are sleeping, Jesus is praying and praying in agony again that no one else knows, no one else could ever know. For he knew what was coming. And despite the mystery of his agony and his struggle, his prayer and his choice were clear. Father, thy will be done. Thy will be done. I will drink the cup. If that is your will, Lord, I will drink of it. And now this cup that he's talking about is the cup of wrath. And that is why I included the reading that we had from Jeremiah, the brief reading. This cup is the cup of God's wrath. It is filled to the brim. It is full of God's just and rightful condemnation and judgment against sin. It is a cup that is prepared for the guilty, for evil people. The Old Testament prophets spoke fairly often of this cup. It is the cup that God's enemies are to drink. They, get, they drink and they stagger and they get, down, they get chopped by the sword. That's the idea. But Jesus, the Son of God, Christ himself, Son of the living God, he will drink it. The only person ever to live who doesn't deserve to drink a single drop from this cup he will drink it, and he will drink it to the dregs, all of it. The path toward drinking of that cup, it goes through arrest, it goes through his trial, it goes through an unjust and unfair accusations, spitting and beating, suffering and death, all the while bearing on his shoulders all this weight of evil and the cowardice failure and the betrayal of his own disciples. That's enough to destroy anyone. That's enough to destroy everyone. The perfectly innocent Jesus will be numbered amongst the transgressors. He will die, commending his spirit to the Father. The wages of sin is death, and the sinless Jesus now will die. Satan meant all of this for evil, evil against Judas, evil against all the apostles, evil against everyone, and of course Satan certainly meant it as evil against Jesus, but what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. He meant it all for good. Now, there's a small part of tonight's reading, something that goes by so quickly that you might overlook it or that could easily be missed. Uh, verse 61 of our, of our uh, gospel reading, the Lord, it says this, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord. The Lord. Jesus is bound. He's arrested. He's on his way to be executed. But here Luke still calls him the Lord. That is the master. Right? He is the one in charge even now. Jesus is still the Lord, the master. He's in charge of it all. He's orchestrating it all for good. So while Peter may only remember the bad, the Lord remembers the good. 
While Peter fails to remember, at least not yet, that Jesus had prayed for him that he would be turned and restored, the time will come when Peter, the weak, evil traitor, the denier, will return to Jesus, just as the Lord promised. Jesus promised it. The Lord promised it. It will happen. Simon Peter's faith will return. He will strengthen his, his other's disciples, just as Jesus promised. And at the moment, Peter doesn't seem to remember that good, that promise. But the Lord does. He always does. Jesus knew that God meant all of this for good, for Simon Peter's good, for your good, for my good, all of it. All the evil and all the authority of the evil one came against the very innocent Son of God. Every sin, every accusation, every temptation came against Jesus. It was like a storm, a storm that came right upon Jesus. But like any other storm, it will come to an end. Every storm will end. When Jesus says, it is finished, and he dies. But then, because God is the God of life and reversal, God the Father who takes evil and uses it for good, he raised his son Jesus from the dead never to die again. Even death itself has no power anymore in the case of Jesus. And if death has no power, that means that sin has no power either. And if sin and death have no power, that means that Satan has no power, that he has been defeated. And God wins the real battle. God wins the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead wins. As we get closer than to the cross and to the tomb this Lenten season, we see the real battle. Satan, Jesus. But we already know how this battle will end. Jesus wins. God wins on Easter. And that means we win too. Dear believers in Christ, Satan is indeed still working, doing evil. He is working in our world and he is working even in our own lives today. In our reading tonight, you have seen how Satan works, how he likes to hide behind the scenes, not to be in front and center, but hiding in the shadows. Don't be fooled into thinking that he's not there. Like, he's, this is not some superstitious hoax that Sherlock Holmes has to get it to the bottom of, because he doesn't believe anything supernatural. There's explanation for everything, of course. But there is a real battle that's going on. And we should be on guard and vigilant against Satan's attack. But know this. Jesus knows Satan's schemes as well. And that's why he has given to us the Lord's Prayer. He's given us the Lord's Prayer to pray, where he tells us to pray that we don't fall into temptation. Like the apostles, like the disciples in the garden, that we do not fall into temptation. Same prayer. And that we would be delivered from evil. And actually, the original language there, as uh, Luther does a good job of pointing this out in his large catechism, the, the original says, deliver us from evil, but it's the evil one, Satan. Deliver us from the evil one. And he, so he, we pray that, and it is a promise that he will do that. So every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, 
Christ himself has reminded you of that, reminded you of his promise to you that he will deliver you from the evil one. He has delivered you. So tonight, I want you to be aware, remember, two words, temptation and accusation. Satan's goal is to turn us away from God's will and from God's ways and get us to turn to his evil ways. Of course, that is called sin. But even more, Satan wants us, once we have committed that sin, once we have given into his temptation, we have fallen into sin, he wants now, and he's got a very good memory. He remembers each and every one of them. And he wants to use those to condemn us, to accuse us, to discourage us, and ultimately, if he can, make us despair of ourselves and of our very lives. So remember, in verse 54, how Peter was following Jesus, but he was doing so at a distance, right? Well, when Satan is tempting you, by faith, grab a hold of the promise that you are not at a distance from Jesus. No, because of Christ and Christ crucified, you are right there with him. You're right up close, indeed, united to Jesus. You're right behind Jesus. Grab a hold of that promise and say, I am baptized. I am grafted together with Jesus. So no, I will not give in to your temptation. I am not going to try to get even. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to murder my neighbor's reputation or any other of these sins that I'm tempted with. No, I am not going to do that because I am right there with Jesus, united to him, right behind Jesus. I am baptized into him, and by his grace, I will follow him. As Christians, though, this should not be a surprise. We still sin. We still give in to those temptations. When Satan then takes those sins that you have committed, which he remembers vividly, and he throws them in your face, and he accuses you, trying to condemn you, trying to bring you to despair, then do the same thing. Claim your place right there with Jesus. Grab a hold of your baptism. Hide there. Hide your life in Christ. That way, in Christ, standing behind Christ, all of Satan's accusations, all the fiery darts of Satan, they will hit Jesus who is standing there for you, standing there in, in your stead, on your behalf. They will hit Jesus and they will fall harmlessly to the ground. They will disappear because they are striking not you, but the risen Lord and Master, the living God, Jesus Christ, who took all of your sins to the tomb and he left them there. Yes, Satan's evil came against Jesus. Yes, it killed him. But God, his Father, raised him from the dead. Jesus knows that. He knows the path, and he chose to walk that path. And he knew that Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And you and I, we stay there, right there, united to Jesus, clinging to him today and forever. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.